The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 170. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panelzy! I am Scottish. About things. Ooh. Be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 10th Doctor Christmas special, The Next Doctor. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, just as a precursor, folks, just to let you know, we're a little behind the scenes. We're recording this just before Christmas 2019 and uh, ahead of the next season of Doctor Who with the, the 13th Doctor. And so uh, we won't have anything to say about that season while we discuss this. And we're sort of in the Christmas mood because it's almost Christmas here. So uh, that'll make it extra fun to talk about. Uh, it's kind of funny because yeah, as you're listening to this episode when it first comes out, it'll be like spring. Easter. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's gonna. This I, I'm not exactly sure when this will come out. Given you know, because we have to, they haven't given us the whole season calendar for the Doctor. But uh, this will be sometime around Easter. So uh, that's funny. That's kind of fun. So uh, time traveling. It's uh, with the Doctor. So uh, uh, I do want to remind you folks to remember to like the Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where it's Facebook.com/slash Secrets of Doctor Who. And if you can retweet the episodes on Twitter, where we're at SQPN and uh, we just love for you to engage with us on social media like that. All right, so this is the the Tenth Doctor's last Christmas special. It aired in two thousand eight, and it features David Tennant and as the Doctor, and then as the next Doctor, it features the guest star David Morrissey. I just thought I'd mention that. And yeah. uh, actually, the end of time is kind of a is kind of. Um... A Christmas thing too. Oh, didn't yes, that's Christmas, right. I'm sorry. New Year. You're it was right. Christmas and New Year. Yes, yes. It was a whole year later that the end of time. So this is this is in that that interim period known as the uh, the tenth Doctor specials. Uh, mm-hmm. And just to kind of point out the 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 final episode of the fourth season, which was Journey's End, was in July of 2008, and then it was six months before this episode, and then between this and the uh, regeneration episodes. Uh, a, a, a year takes place. We, the, a yep. year passes uh, with two more specials that we've yes. got to do. Uh, we've already talked about the uh, the end of time, the the Doctor's regeneration. So uh, you can go back and check those out. But uh, yeah, so it's this weird interim period that <laughs> that we're stuck in uh, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine with the do- Doctor. And people knew at the time, right? And you can tell me if I'm yeah. off on this that mm-hmm. the, that the tenth Doctor's time was ending. David Tennant's time was ending, right? Yeah, they announced it, and, and people knew it for this. I believe this was actually filmed before the announcement was made, but it was shown after the announcement was made, right. and that was part of the hype for this. Is like, could this really be the next Doctor? Yeah, and um, they also. Uh, they used the specials year as kind of a you know a farewell to David Tennant's time mm-hmm. because he'd been really popular, and um, Russell T Davies was leaving the show and David Tennant was leaving the show, and rather than just leave, they decided to do this year of specials instead right. of a full season. Right. Also right. gave them also gave them a chance to kind of retool as they're getting ready for Moffat and uh, Matt Smith to come in. Right. That they could pick up right after. Uh, without having to have, uh, you know, a year or two or whatever to, g- because so much changed in the interim. They changed mm-hmm. the sets and the uh, Doctor, and a lot changed with between the Russell T Davies and the uh, the Stephen Moffat eras. So it was uh, 
So that, yeah, and, you're right. It did give him some time. And in, in, in many ways, the Matt Smith regeneration was a, almost a uh, soft reboot, kind of like they did with Joey yeah. Whitaker, where, you know, kind of, okay, we're going to reboot it again a little bit. You know, it was, I mean, they still kind of played off of what had been established in New Who and, of course, Classic Who, but it right. was still kind of a soft reboot between the end of the specials and the Matt Smith first season. That's right. That's right. So there were five specials after the end of season four. So this, the, the next Doctor, uh, Planet of the Dead, The Water of Mars, and then the two-part uh, regeneration uh, episodes. And so um, this is also marked the fourth Christmas special since the show's revival, all four of which, by the way, featured David Tennant, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Christopher mm-hmm. Eccleston was done before the first Christmas special. And this this is Christmas specials wasn't we've talked about this before but just to, as a reminder wasn't a thing in Classic Who. It wasn't like it no. wasn't this is a something that came in with the revival. With one yeah. exception if I remember right. Uh yeah, first, the, first doctor. First well, doctor had something, yeah. It 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 wasn't so yeah, much a of. Christmas special but it was it it certainly commemorated Christmas and he broke the fourth wall to wish the audience merry christmas. Okay. And then uh what something else uh, that kind of came up as a bit of trivia? This is the first of the Christmas specials that is set in the past. Uh, later mm-hmm. ones will also be set in the past, but the others were set in the present or in the future. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, they were all in the present. Actually, in the present, the, yeah, the, the previous ones. Uh, we'll we'll g- eventually get some future and uh, uh, other past ones as well. Right. Um, <laughs> and just I, because there's plenty of trivia about it, it's also the first Christmas special. That didn't have a new song written for it. Which right, is, it used an old Christmas song. Yeah, uh, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Uh, so, um, so uh, let's talk about the episode itself. I yeah. think the idea of this episode is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think the idea of the Doctor meeting someone who he believes to be his future self is right. is really good, and i I think it would have been even better if it was. I agree. You know, uh, they take the they progressively take the edge off something that starts out really awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, it sort of plays on the 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 previous times when you've had the doctors encounter himself, uh, the two doctors, mm-hmm. and was it the three doctors, the five the doctors, fi- the three doctors, the five doctors, and the two doctors. And right. so th- I think they're probably kind of playing on f- fan expectations that maybe this is another. One of those sorts of things, but mm-hmm. just slightly different. Oh, yeah. Looking at a future incarnation, right? Uh, and and that's a really awesome experience for the audience and for the doctor to have. And mm-hmm. um, I only wish they'd done it if if this had been Matt Smith, for example. Yeah, right. You know that would have been really cool, which we eventually get, especially if they play up the the forgetfulness where he you know he's in post regeneration madness or something like that, and he's completely yeah. forgotten who he is. Right. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. have been fun. And as Dom said, we eventually do get that be- with David Tennant meeting Matt Smith because that happens in the Day of the Doctor, right? But that's not this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I like the actor that they've picked to be the next Doctor. He is uh, he does a really good job of conveying doctorness. You know, I could watch this guy for a season. Mm. Oh yeah, it's it's enjoyable. I like how the episode starts because the previous thing was a downer where he said goodbye to Donna after, you know, doing a reboot of her hard drive. Right. And so he steps out of the TARDIS on this in the year 1851 in the middle of a Christmas market. And it's lightly snowing and people are singing and everyone's doing holiday stuff. And it's a really bright, nice, happy, joyful opening to this. And we and we should point out, too, it's actually snow, not ash from a ship burning up in the atmosphere or or volcanic ash or yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh it's very dickensian victorian a Mm -hmm. a christmas carol right down to where he says to the child you boy what day is it (laughs) i mean it's right out of a christmas carol which is a lot of fun uh and then he has to ask the year which again is right out of a christmas carol and the boys, oh, oh, are you daft (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i like i like that uh uh, that little bit of uh, oh, yeah, actually calls him a bit. Um, what is he? The uh, you thick or something is what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then and the doctor hears uh, a woman calling for the doctor. Yeah. First he says, oh, 1851, a bit dull, nice year, but a bit dull. So he's sort of 
sets that expectation, then breaks it with the, yeah immediately. Yeah, something when, happens to make it interesting, and he's very excited. Hey, somebody's calling for me. What, who could it be? Um, and it is uh, he, he goes running off, and, and he catches this uh, this black woman named Rosita who's calling for the doctor, and he's like, "It's me. I'm here." And she's like, "Who are you, doctor?" <laughs> and someone yeah. else comes running up, and he says, uh, and he, and "He introduces himself and." Uh, asks for a sonic screwdriver and refers to the TARDIS and the doctor uh, and says he's a time lord and says he's a time lord. Uh, now f- from now on I'm going to call I'm going to refer to him as doctor and the next doctor so we don't get confused here mm-hmm. okay until right. until the until revolution the reveal. yeah but uh, so the doctor is quite excited by this prospect that he's meeting himself uh, in the in the future he, uh, after that initial confusion but then this creature breaks out through this door that uh, that it's sort of a it looks like a cyber ape, kind of. Yeah, they call them they call them cyber shades, but it looks like a kind of like a cyber ape. But you can also tell it's a guy in a rug. <laughs> yeah, a exactly, in, in a rug with a Cyberman mask, which is yeah, would have been great Halloween costumes that uh, that year. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> it, and so it, we it ends up we have this sort of chase thing where it drags the two doctors uh, up, uh, you know, by a rope up a wall and through a window and. Rosita has to grab an axe and save them by cutting the rope, and uh, it's it's a very you know a very standard sort of doctorish mm-hmm. thing that happens. Uh, and with and some then banter. the next doctor introduces Ten to Rosita, and he says, "Oh, Rosita, good name." Yes. Notice the connection to Rose, Rose, and Martha. I mean, there's a sort of Rose and Martha connection going on here, uh, yep. and uh, so the doctor decides to avoid some trouble because this guy obviously doesn't recognize him. In fact, he kind of says, don't you recognize me? And so he introduces himself as his standard alias, John Smith, mm-hmm. uh, because he assumes that somehow the doctor's lost his memory, the next doctor. Yeah, though he, he starts dropping hints. Uh, at one point, the next doctor is stretching, and he says, oh, I'm not as young as I used to be. And, and uh, he says, not as young as 10, says, not as young as when you were me. <laughs> right, and, right. So he's dropping hints, and he... It, the next doctor says, great swaths of my life have been stolen away ever since the Cybermen came. Right. And he uh, he periodically gets little flashes of memory that fill stuff in. And there's a moment in a little bit where they are they found these cyber devices called info stamps that are basically big, inefficient thumb drives. That's what I call and, them. <laughs> yeah. And he's holding one. And the next doctor says, I was holding an info stamp. The night I lost my mind, the night I regenerated, the Cybermen made me change my mind, my whole self, and you were there, <laughs> he says yep, to yeah. the 10th Doctor. And so this is building up a scenario where the 10th Doctor is thinking, okay, I'm about to regenerate, I'm going to hop back in time a little bit, so like three weeks or something, to when this happened, and I'm going to be there, and the Cybermen are going to kill me, and I'm going to become the next Doctor. But of course, uh, yes, uh, something something goes wrong in that scenario. So uh, the, we we next switch to uh, the Cybermen, the 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 new Cyber Leader, who is a little different from uh, Cyber Leaders we've seen in most recent episodes where they've shown up. He's got this black faceplate, and we can see his brain through his helmet, uh, which, which is interesting. Um, and and, and he, we've seen we've seen Cybermen's brains before. That's in Tomb of the Cybermen, all yeah. the way back in the Second Doctor's time. Right, right. The Cybermen seem to just tweak themselves a little bit every time they show up. I just I noticed mm-hmm. that. But uh, mm-hmm. so he's talking to some Victorian lady. Uh, we, we'll find out her name is Mercy Hardigan, and she seems to be in cahoots with them, but not converted, which is interesting. And she's she's in, in ev- fact they've told her she will never be converted. Right, and she's been promised. She's received a promise. That she will be heralded in the new age at the court of the Cyber King. And now, everybody says, all the Cybermen say, the Cyber King will rise. Is Cyber King a new thing? Is that yes? Okay, it wasn't mm-hmm. in Classic Who. Okay, no. so nobody knew what was coming on that one. All right. Nope. So uh, we, we switch back to, uh, to the next Doctor, and he's uh, breaking into the house of this dead guy who, during the dead guy's funeral, because the best time to do it, I suppose. Um, he he does. I do want to know. He does tell Rosita to go back to the TARDIS because this isn't work for a woman. Uh, which and that's that's odd. one of our first clues that he's yep. not really the Doctor because right. a, a, someone who was really the Doctor wouldn't be that casually sexist. Right. 
And that sets off, it's really subtle, but it sets off a chain of thought in Ten's mind Yes, where he thinks, you know, back when I had used a chameleon arch to become a human being, I absorbed human attitudes like that until we opened the fob watch and I got my memories back. Right. Maybe he, this guy's wearing a fob watch. <laughs> Maybe he has been humanized by a chameleon arch too. And that's why he is so casually sexist towards Rosita. Yeah, but when they pop open the watch, the, the spring pops out. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out, nope, no, that's not it. Nope. The red herring. Uh, the other, yeah. the next clue that we get that he really isn't the doctor is he talks about his sonic screwdriver and he holds up a just a plain old screwdriver. Yeah. And, and the doctor a, a, says, a, a, how's it 19, sonic? <laughs> a 19th century screwdriver, but yes, yes an ordinary screwdriver. And he says, how's it sonic? And he, he knocks the handle against the door and it makes a noise. It goes, makes noises. See, Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So uh, we, we get some uh, exposition where the, the next doctor tells us that it all started with the murder of Jackson Lake, a math mathematics teacher um, who's uh, who is the latest murder. The man that, who the man whose house they're in now is a reverend. Uh, yep. I, I missed the who, name. Fairchild. Uh, Fairchild. And he was very yep. much into supporting children's charities, which will become relevant later in the plot. Right, and he died apparently from burns on his forehead from some form of execution or electric. Sorry, electrocution. electrocution sorry, uh, yeah. yeah, it was a both. Shakespearean uh, <laughs> uh, uh, slip, but uh, and then they find an info stamp, as you mentioned, uh, the the Cyberman thumb drives, and uh, the doctor realizes that the the Cybermen need the info stamps because they're in the wrong century. They haven't got much power. And they, the info stamps are necessary to update their databases with information or something along those lines. I wasn't quite clear on yeah. why. No, you, you, you got it. He said they don't have enough power to run their Wi-Fi. And it's like, really? I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, come on. Wi-Fi doesn't was, take a lot of energy. Yeah. And then they were saying some of their data was corrupted as well. So it's, it, this is kind of like their database backup system. Right, mm -hmm. right. Now, uh, the next doctor remembers that he was holding that info stamp, as you mentioned, when he regenerated. Uh, and then as they're rustling through, the uh, the doctor opens the door, and this is Cyberman standing there. And uh, they they get starting attack, and the uh, Cybermen are saying, delete, delete, uh, chase him around. They don't seem to recognize the doctor. They just see the next doctor and think that mm -hmm. he's the doctor, uh, which is interesting. Uh, the, the, the next doctor remembers at one point, that he had previously opened an info stamp and pointed it at the Cybermen, uh, making their heads explode, which he does in this case. Yep. And uh, the doctor says, only the doctor would know how to do that. So now he's kind of switching back. If he had any right. doubts before, now he's moving back to thinking, maybe it really is me. Well, uh, then, so. of course, before he opens it, you get that ridiculous scene where the doctor is trying to fight off Cybermen with a sword. With a cutlass. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just That's like, yeah, you know that ain't going to work. Okay, so now here's where there's a real a plot hole, or maybe just uh, it's a very subtle uh, movement of the plot, which is mm -hmm. he gets out his stethoscope and puts it on the chest of the next doctor mm -hmm. and doesn't say anything. Right. You hear, the, so, you hear the single heartbeat. Yeah. This is the moment where the doctor realizes this guy's just a human being who but thinks he's, he's me for some reason. He's and, very but the subtle audience about doesn't it. Yeah. know that yet. Yeah. yeah. But you see the doctor's behavior change. Because when Ten goes, go, starts going, uh, is taken back to where the next doctor lives, he immediately is like rummaging through his stuff on the sly and giving right. Rosita a shush signal as he does so. And so he's now looking for evidence that the doctor is not who he thinks he is. Um, and this is where the, the stethoscope scene occurs at the 16 minute mark. And this is where the episode starts to get a lot less interesting, because now that the doctor knows that this man is not his future incarnation, the audience, you know, I mean, if you're paying attention, you'll realize that, but right. it could get by you. We haven't had the full reveal yet, but it's where they start taking the edge off of an otherwise great concept. Now, mm. I, I will say this, though, they, they did a good thing here where they put that subtle hint in there that if you, like you said, if you're watching for it, 
you would recognize it immediately. This is, you know, this is the point where the doctor's understanding of who this person is changes. But it was subtle. They showed it and they just let it lay out there until. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You won't recognize it until later on when they do the reveal. Like 14 the first minutes time from now. Right, right. So <laughs> right now, you're not going to recognize that that's what, that he should only hear one heartbeat. Uh, so we, we go to the funeral now with a, of Reverend Fairchild, uh, and Miss Hartigan shows up in a scandalous red dress. Fire engine red dress. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which, you know, the set design, the, the production design is really interesting because the, everyone attending the funeral, all the men attending the funeral in black, there's snow on the ground, everything's gray, white, and black. And here she is, this spot of red that really mm-hmm. stands out brightly. And uh, apparently mm. women going to funeral was inappropriate at this time, yeah, too. I didn't, uh, that didn't ring, I mean, that didn't ring true for me. I mean, certainly women would have, want to grieve like everybody else. And so, yeah. I mean, maybe having, I don't know, I, maybe someone who knows more about British culture and history can explain that to us. But yeah. I, that snapped me out of the story. Yeah, I mean, maybe attending a funeral of a man that was not married or something. Maybe I don't know. It was really I, weird. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, so, the color scheme with the black, white, and red. So languages have different numbers of of primary color terms, mm-hmm. um, all the way from two up to eleven primary color terms. Then right. you get weird stuff like peridot and chartreuse. But of the primary color terms, there are as many as eleven, which English has. But when there are only and, and what's interesting, one of the interesting things about this is when they, as as the number of color terms go up, the colors appear in basically the same order. So if you have only two color terms, it's always black and white. Right, and right. when there's a third color term, it's always red. Hmm. And so there's hmm. something about black, white, and red that are like the most primal, essential colors for uh, human consciousness. And I don't know if I'm sure Russell T. Davies wasn't aware of this, but I wonder if on some subtle level that was influencing right. what happens in this scene well, with the black and the white and then her showing up as red. Well, it's, it's definitely you have the contrast because how many times do we see those those photos where they're black and white, but then they colorize everything that's you know red, yeah. everything that's a certain well, color. And red is one of the more common ones that people will do that with. Designers understand the psychology of color. And so that I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that perhaps someone in the in the design uh, of the show, the production design mm-hmm. probably knew that. I mean, I, I mean, to me, the obvious thing is red is because it's blood and sexual so, and blood, yeah, and blood, and yeah. danger, well, and yeah. You're right. It's uh, when when you see red, you, you know, when you see blood, bad things are happening, and that's what uh, a primal thing that people need to understand is that when we see blood, bad. So, um, so anyway, she shows up. She introduces herself as. Um, she the, runs the St. Joseph Workhouse. That's Yeah, she she's the matron of the St. Joseph Workhouse. I, she doesn't own it, but apparently she runs it. Yes. Right. Uh, and she says that this funeral was arranged, and, and uh, i.e. the Reverend Fairchild was murdered, to bring this particular group of men together to be taken by the Cybermen. Although some are disposable, and we see this scene of them <laughs> running about. Being among, disposed. Yes. Like chickens with their heads cut off, running around in circles, mm-hmm. running into each other. Like the most ineffective fleeing ever. Yeah, <laughs> from from the slow as dirt Cybermen, uh, but but the others, this handful of four of them, I think it was, yeah. are are needed because of the children that live in their workhouses, the orphans. Um, and so we we have this this very sinister sort of uh, some we need the children sort of thing, which is a again another primal mm-hmm. like warning bell that goes off in your head when someone says we need the children. It's yeah, scary. and it's it's introduced. Purely to bring in creep factor into this episode. Yeah. It, it's ultimately concealing a big, or going to tie into a big plot hole, but we're not there yet. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm with you on that one. So uh, we switch back to the uh, the doctor and the next doctor. Uh, they, they're back at where the, the next doctor is hanging out uh, with Rosita. And there's all kinds of luggage there that the doctor starts going through where he, like you said, he finds an info stamp and it uh, the, the the doctor says... Oh, the answer to this will be in your TARDIS, he says at the next doctor, which they, they okay, let's go check it out. <laughs> they go outside, and it's a hot air balloon. Yeah, yeah. a te- tethered aerial release developed in style TARDIS. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, and this is where the doctors worked out how the next doctor became the doctor. Uh, the in, in fact, I think this is where we have the reveal 
yes. uh, at, at this point where he says, you know, the the data. Yes. In fact, he shows the um, the info stamp that has the database about the doctor in it that got downloaded into this guy's brain. And we find out that he, this is actually Jackson Lake. He wasn't murdered, but had his his own identity erased by the info stamp. Um, yeah. And so we see this visual display. Mm-hmm. And the doctor kind of summarizes a lot of recent history to explain why the Cybermen are here, because these are Cybermen being new who Cybermen at this stage of the game. They're from a parallel world. Right. And they had crossed over into our world and battled the Daleks at the Battle of Canary Wharf. Right. And then they got expelled from there into the void between dimensions. But And the Doctor keeps alluding to the Cybermen here having stolen Dalek technology because the Daleks had punched through these barriers as well. Mm-hmm. And so after the Battle of Canary Wharf, they managed to get out of the void and come here using Dalek time travel technology. At the same time, Jackson Lake and we'll find out his wife and son came to London and found these cyber, these info stamps and had a battle with the Cybermen. And that's when he became convinced he was the doctor, because in opening the flash drive and spraying the Cybermen with data, he also sprayed himself with data, apparently. Right. right. Cause them to explode, but him to absorb the data. And because it was during a traumatic event, seeing his wife die and his child being abducted well, by Cybermen. It caused him to enter into this fugue state, so just made it even worse. Which is a real thing. Fugue right. means flight, and a dissociative fugue in psychology is where you can't bear something in your life and you flee from it, and often by adopting a new, or sometimes at least by adopting a new identity. And, you know, one thing. One thing they mentioned too is um, that the Cybermen were able to end up back on Earth in the 1850s because of everything that happened with Stolen Earth Journey's End, where all the walls between the realities were breaking down, and that's how Rose could get through, and Jack Tyler and all them. Well, at the same time that happened, they said the void was starting to break down as well, and these Cybermen were able to escape from that, but ended up in 1850 through the Dalek technology. And this is, so we're now at the 28-minute mark of the hour-long episode. We're halfway through, and this is where it definitively starts to become less interesting, because now we've ripped the the primary concept of this episode out from under it, and the thing that replaces the primary concept, which is the whole Cyberman thing, is not nearly as interesting as the next Doctor. Right, right. Yeah, I do want to mention, talk about this, this, this projection that the Doctor does with the info stamp where we see all 10 incarnations of the Doctor yes. in a visual display on the wall. So it, it's the first time since the reboot in 2005 that any image of the first eight Doctors had been shown in the, in this, on screen, uh, was, other than, other than Peter that. Davison doing Time Crash, which wasn't a regular episode. Right. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I, I couldn't remember any time before this. Now, during Matt Smith's era... Uh, they like to go back and show, like he had an ID card, which was of the first doctor, things like that. Right, right. But yeah. uh, this, I couldn't remember any time before this where they had mentioned previous doctors. And obviously, we had the Sarah Jane episodes and things like yep. that, but nothing quite as explicit as this. Right. In yeah, human the, nature. I think the, the closest we came was in the human nature yeah. episode. Uh, the doctor had a diary in which he had sketched some of his previous incarnations, but he didn't know what these faces meant because he was right. humanized at the time. Right. So here, here's a little bit of trivia. These are where each of the doctor's appearances, what episodes oh, they came from. So the first doctor was the Time Meddler. The second doctor was the Ice Warriors. The third doctor was Terror of the Autons. The fourth doctor was City of Death. The fifth doctor was from Ark of Infinity. The sixth doctor was from Mysterious Planet. The seventh doctor was from Time and the Rani. And the eighth doctor, of course, was from uh, the, the, the TV movie. TV movie. Yep. And the ninth doctor was from The Parting of the Ways. And the tenth doctor, Family of Blood. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> and they showed them all in sepia. The design of the display was in sepia tones. Yep. Not right. because it was 1850, but because the first two doctors were only in black and white. It would be jarring for it to display it because the world wasn't actually in black and white. It wasn't. <laughs> <at that time>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So there's no reason why the the time the info stamp should be in black and white for two of them and not for the rest. So 
they decided to make them all in sepia tones, which is they they could have used production stills though, because there were production stills that were in color. Yeah, they could have. Yeah, yeah, Uh, but they they didn't. But yeah, they they went this way, which is uh, you know fine. But just I just thought it was interesting. Anyway, moving on from that, so the they uh, so Jackson Lake is now immediately crushed to realize that he's not the doctor, and he thinks I am a lie. You know, his whole self is a lie, and the doctor tries to console him by saying, no, 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 info stamps are just, you know, facts and figures, but the bravery and the invention, you know, I mean, you came up with this TARDIS balloon and everything, all that was you. And I'm going, eh, I mean, he can take some credit, but it was also the facts and figures that mm-hmm. spurred him to be brave and invent a TARDIS. Right. And then we get the, the doctor saying, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, uh, as he reveals that, the you know, what's what what Jackson Lake has been missing What's caused all this is the fact that, you know, there's a, that's an awful lot of luggage for one man. Yes, you're, you, you've lost something else. You've lost someone. You've lost your wife. And he remembers um, that his wife had died. And this is at the moment where the bell tolls midnight on Christmas Day, which I think, thought was interesting. I thought it was really dark. I yeah. mean, the, the, the chimes of midnight start sounding and Rosita is, oh, it's Christmas Day. And Jackson Lake is remembering the death of his wife three weeks exactly. ago. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, it's almost Scrooge, Christmas Carol sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the remembering the Christmas past and all that sort of thing. I don't know if that was intentional, but the, I mean, there's a little bit of that in there. So mm-hmm. then we get to the, uh, th- these, the four um, workhouse uh, masters who've been taken by the Cybermen. They've got those cyber ear implants, the AirPods that now mm-hmm. that, uh, that mm-hmm. they have, uh, and they're being given instructions by Miss Hardigan, who's having fun ordering, uh, you know, those sexist men around. Um, now, now, of course, nobody in, 19, in 1850 England is going to think it's strange that these guys have giant earbuds over their ears. Yes. That are glowing. They're that are, glowing. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no one will think anything of it. Uh, then, uh, and, and they're herding the children together, and this triggers the doctor to need to spring into action, and Jackson Lake is so crushed at this moment that he sends Rosita to help the doctor because he doesn't feel able to. And right. there's an element of psychological realism to that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it it I think it diminishes the character of Jackson Lake that he's not able to suck it up and say whatever my personal issues are, I need to help the doctor now. Mm-hmm. At least at first, but he does does eventually he, come around ev- to that. Eventually, but I think it still for me it diminishes the character. He's he He's not as heroic if he doesn't think he's the doctor. Right, right. And and so we, what we see is all these you know dozens of children being marched through the streets at midnight on Christmas Day, these poor kids, uh, mm-hmm. being marched through the streets to the Cybermen uh, and uh, the, to the, the, the sewage works, apparently. They're taking them inside there. Um, and then that's where the doctor encounters Miss Hardigan and some Cybermen. <laughs> I, I love this. He goes, that they they snuck up on the doctors. Hey, that's not fair. That were your legs on silent? <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought that was a good one. Um, and uh, yeah, he, hanging hanging a lantern on on that. Yeah, yep. yeah. And then uh, he he know at first he mis he he misunderstands the presence of Miss Hardigan. He's like, come on, come to me. I, you you've not been converted yet. Obviously, you know, come come over to me quickly. And she's like, oh no, you misunderstand. I'm I'm in control here. And so the doctor is sort of taken aback by this unusual. Uh, way of Alliance. the yeah the yeah. Cybermen behaving in a way that they they don't usually, um, and she kind of explains the some of the the deals. She doesn't actually explain everything. She doesn't monologue here, but he says it's all been time for Christmas Day. Was that your idea, Miss Hardigan? He says yes, the perfect day for a birth with a new message for the people. Only this time, it won't be the words of a man. And I'm like, oh, do we have to do the man hating Victorian yeah. woman thing? It's it, so it, used. It, it, it's it's cliche. Yeah. Also, she's really vague. I mean, I don't understand what her motivation is at this right. point because right, she right. says the Cybermen have promised me liberation. How's that going to work for you? You know, yeah. right? It, having her be someone in league with the Cybermen that are helping them do something really bad to the human race. I need to understand this character's motivations better. There is no motivation. Yeah. Yeah. What does she think is going to happen on the other side of this event? Right. 
And uh, why would she be attracted to that? She comes across as just an evil stereotype without a without some kind of you know way problem. of explaining why she's doing this. That's yeah. the problem. She is. I mean, she really there is no real motivation other than man bad, men bad. Right. You men know, have yeah. been keeping women down. Yeah. And I mean, they they do kind of try to flesh it out a little bit where she was you know, because she was working in this this working house. She was you know treated very badly and kind of you know ignored by men and things like that. But that's really about as far as they go. But she totally doesn't have a problem with workhouses because uh, she's brought all of these kids from four different workhouses. Oh, it's not the workhouses. It's the men who are running it. That was the problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, she's doing to the children what was done to her because she's exactly. brought all these kids here to run this steampunk thing that she announces as the new industrial revolution. And here we have a plot hole, a big one, because yes. the Cybermen have built this monstrously huge, and we see it. I mean, they pan up so we can get the full scope of this thing. They've built this huge engine, and they need kids to stoke it by putting coal in it? Really? <laughs> right. The Cybermen could do that themselves. If, you, if they can build this thing, they can fuel it. Right. So so there's no reason there's, for the kids. There's That's another plot hole, is there's no... She has no motivation that we're given. There's no point to the kids being there except to provide peril yep. for the audience to get all agog about. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. And, and then it, it, it gets worse because it turns out that the Cyber King is actually an enormous steampunk Zord. And <laughs> right. and they've built that too, but yet they need kids to run their starter engine. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> So meanwhile, uh, Jackson Lake has uh, found his courage and has showed up just in time with a bandolier of info stamps. The info stamps are conveniently uh, carried in bandoliers um, that shoots the Cybermen. And Rosita socks Hardigan in the mouth for for having insinuated that Rosita's a harlot uh, a few minutes ago. Um, And uh, Jackson Lake now at this point remembers, oh, yes, conveniently. Uh, I I was in a house where that's where my wife and I were attacked in the basement, and so they go there and they find what the doctor calls a dimension vault. It's that yep. that Dalek technology that that they use to get where they are. Um, and so Jackson is still trying to remember. No, there's still something else missing besides my wife, and that's when he remembers his son. That uh, oh no, he doesn't remember here. He will eventually remember it, but yep. but he's still trying to remember him. Um. Miss Hardigan. So lots of things happen. Miss Hardigan is betrayed by the Cybermen. Oh, curse you! Your yeah. <laughs> your curse sudden yet inevitable, inevitable betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I love how she she tells the Cyber Leader. So what the deal is is they're going to make her the Cyber King, right? So they they're going to plug her in to this giant steampunk sword, and she uh, gets this brain cap that comes down and and starts to convert her, and she's. Like, you said I would never be converted, and the cyber leader says that was what we designate as a lie. Right. <laughs> and and so she gets plugged into the cyber system, and at first you think she is just a normal cyber person, but then it turns out she still has emotions, and she her mind is so strong. And this, this is, starts to get interesting again. Mm-hmm. Her mind is so strong that she dominates the cyber programming. She apparently can't control the cyber leader, so she vaporizes him. But all of the other <laughs> cybermen then fall in line, and she pr- announces there's going to be a new race of cybermen that will have not only cyber upgrades, but also her passion and fury. Right. And mm-hmm. she, uh, it seems like she talks as if she's going to be the Borg queen and like yeah. be running all of them. But they seem to have independent agency, right? Because she has Cybermen who are telling her things she doesn't already know, right? It's not like a hive mind uh, in, yeah. in that case. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, yeah. It, it, it's interesting how they have like her eyes turn black. Her voice gets that cyber leader, the Cyberman, um, electronic Effect. sound, and then mm-hmm. it starts to gradually go away as she takes control back from them. So it's very interesting. Um, now the doctor and the others they rescued the kids. Jackson, yeah, because they were going to delete the kids. Now that they've run the starter engine, the kids are no longer needed. Right, and so like, lady, what's your problem here? <laughs> I mean, <sighs> like, why kill the kids? Just you know, yeah. just ignore them. What do you let need them, them go? For? Yeah, like 
they'll die or survive in the the coming purge that you're having of humanity. So you know what's like why the why must you take this active thing in being evil? But you know why does. spend why spend the effort on that? You've got a world to do whatever you're going to do to with. <laughs> right, right. Hmm. So this is as they're rescuing the kids. This is where Jackson remembers his son, and of course the son is is in the, the this engine way up high and hasn't run out with the rest of the kids, so it needs to be rescued. And this is another this is another cliche that I just hate. I mean, not only do we have coincidence with the son just happening to be there, right. who's been held by the Cybermen for three weeks, right? But he's in this most inaccessible spot, so we have to have a heroic rescue. As Jackson Lake starts to dash up the stairs, they collapse. And so it's the doctor yep. who, who rescues to. the son. And it's like, give the father agency here. Let <laughs> right. him yeah. rescue his own son. It's just cliched writing to say but, the main character has to do everything that moves the plot forward. Well, I mean, then, then th- without, if you let the father do it, then you couldn't have swashbuckling David Tennant be well, swashbuckling to save the kid. Okay, wait a second. Where'd the sword come from? Because <laughs> he didn't have the sword. Did he pull it out of his pant leg? I mean, where was the sword this whole time? In a TARDIS handbag, you know, which is bigger on the inside? That that one bug- bugged me, I have to say. But yeah, you're right. The whole swashbuckling, the, the doctor has to save the day again, the, the Time Lord triumphant. Uh, and like you said, that turns out the Cyber King is a giant steampunk Cyberman robot. In uh, yeah, and the doctor course, says it's a it's a dreadnought, so it's a it's a battleship essentially, yeah. but it's a big robot. And he says it's got a factory inside it that will convert millions. Right, and uh, so the uh, Chekhov's balloon comes into play here, where the the doctor gets into <laughs> Jackson Lake's balloon uh, mm-hmm. to to uh, fly up and confront Miss Hardigan and. Gives her a choice, and like everybody else he's ever given a choice to, to stop being evil, she rejects it, and so he has to do the bad thing to her. Like, <laughs> yep. I'm sorry, but like after a while, you'd think, why do I bother giving them the choice? They've, they've already decided to be evil. Let's just, you know. <laughs> it's it's so the, so the writers can portray the Doctor as being super virtuous. The choice right. that he gives her in this case is he'll take her, I mean, he says, you've got, you know, an amazing mind, one of the most amazing minds in human history, if you can resist cyber programming. Right. And that kind of mind deserves to live. So I'll take you to another world with no inhabitants where you and your cyber buddies can just exist, but not convert other people. And that's what she doesn't want to do. She wants to be queen of the world. And, um, and she, and this is at this point, the, the, Cyber King has come out of the Thames. I mean, it, it initially rose up out of the Thames, but now mm-hmm. it's walking on land. From somewhere, it, by the it, way, it, in the Thames. From, from what? Well, it, it was somewhere under the Thames, because, like, how yeah. did this giant thing fit in the river? Like, I mean, the Thames <laughs> is deep, but it's not that deep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, go ahead. But, but at this point, she's walking through London in this thing, and it's crushing houses. Yes. I mean, you see crushed houses. She's mm-hmm. killing people, and we don't see any of the dead people. They don't show them to us, but right. she's killed. They just show us living people running around screaming, but she's killing people. And then somehow she doesn't understand why her people aren't rejoicing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, again, <laughs> what did you think was going to happen here? Yeah, as you know, this is very poorly worked out. Right, right. And so... uh the the doctor meanwhile has some something he pulled off of the dimensional vault and and he uses this gizmo to well first he breaks the cyber connection between them all yep. which for some reason makes everybody explode into nothingness uh, i'm yeah. not sure why uh, well yeah and what he does is he's got the bandolier of and so he takes the balloon the tardis balloon when and yeah. he could have used his own tardis to do this by the way cuz it can hover in midair yes but he takes the tardis balloon and gets up to mouth level of the giant robot, which is where she and other Cybermen are seated. Right. And he's talking to her, and when she doesn't take, when she doesn't make the good choice, he's got the bandolier of info stamps, and he starts firing, firing the matter, and feeding her all this information, which somehow breaks her connection to the cyber network. And he says, "Think about what you become." And she realizes she has a moment of clarity and realizes how horrific 
mm-hmm. all of this is. And that's when electricity starts happening and she starts screaming and there are booms and the Cybermen start exploding and she vaporizes too. Yeah. And so now the now the Zord doesn't have a pilot and the robot is starting to fall and you know it's gonna kill a bunch of people if it falls. Right. And people are running around screaming. And so the doctor then whips out the thing from the Dalek vortex mm-hmm. thing, which has finally recharged. Right. right at the exact right moment. <laughs> yep. Yes. And he uses it to beam the robot into the void so it doesn't fall and kill more people. And so now the, this is where Jackson Lake, who's been saved by the the, the doctor now, uh, leads the Londoners and cheers for the doctor because he's never been thanked before. He never. Yeah. <laughs> never. never. No ever. one's ever thanked the doctor. Oh, nope. uh, and this is uh, this is part of a pattern in this episode, and it's a broader pattern in Russell T. Davies' writing, where people just worship the doctor, and yeah. I don't like this. There's a moment where, you know, Jackson Lake has gone from being crushed to uh, emotionally, um, to becoming like a doctor super fan that just can't stop talking about the doctor. So when the doctor right. goes up in the balloon, someone is, is like, who is that man in the balloon? And Jackson Lake is like, his name, sir, is the doctor. And he <laughs> says it all dramatic-like. And right. then he gives this speech about after the doctor has gotten rid of the Zord, he gives this speech about how he's never been thanked before and let's all cheer him. And he's, <laughs> he and the crowd are yelling bravo. And apparently this somehow gives the doctor some like hope to keep living or something because <laughs> they made a point of they made a point of now that he's got his son back, he has something to live for. And Jackson Lake turns that around on him, and though the doctor doesn't say it, the doctor the implication is the doctor at this point doesn't have anything to live for. Right. So, um, <laughs> there was I had a few thoughts on that, but that, well, I'll uh-huh. just move on on that because you, you, that's a good point. Uh, that one of the things that happens next is uh, Jackson talks about how people will talk about this for centuries to come about how this. Cyber King was destroyed. They kind of hang a lantern on that with the doctor going, yeah, maybe not. Like, you know, this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and of I course, believe in the 11th Doctor's time, they actually do retcon why nobody remembered this. Well, oh, okay. Well, because we also get, um, uh, we're eventually going to have a dinosaur running around, mm-hmm. around this time period, um, a T-Rex, a giant T-Rex, like bigger than normal. And then we're going to also have a uh, giant uh, eel living under the Thames, which was might have been next to the Cyber King or something. I don't know. But uh, mm-hmm. apparently this time, course, this is just old hat. Nobody just bothered to write 18, it down. 1851 is a very boring year, apparently. <laughs> apparently. So uh, do, do the doctor does let uh, uh, Jackson into the real TARDIS to give him a, a look. Although we know we don't actually get the whole it's bigger on the inside thing. He just kind of get, gets a complete and utter wonderful nonsense. Uh, that, yeah, this mm-hmm. is great. I mean, not every time that someone enters the TARDIS do they... I mean, they all notice it's bigger on the inside. They don't always say it. Right. Um, and they'll have other variations. And I love what happens here. It is so meta mm-hmm. because Jackson Lake comes in. He's flabbergasted to see how big it is. And he says, this is nonsense, <laughs> which kind of tweaks the doctor a little bit. <laughs> right. And he says, com- co- a complete and utter wonderful nonsense. And that's really what the writers think. Yes, yeah. this is this is the conceit of the TARDIS from the very beginning. It's nonsense, but it's wonderful nonsense that exactly. has let us have this show. Uh, so Jackson invites the Doctor to a Christmas dinner with him, and the Doctor uh, demurs at first, and he talks about how he's tra- traveling alone because his companions always leave. Um, they because uh, because they should because they find someone else or because they forget him. Um, and someone has gone to the effort of of categorizing the companions, by the way. So the companions that left because they <laughs> believed they should included Tegan, Martha, Ian, and Barbara. Companions that found someone else include Susan and Rose, although obviously they wanted to stay with the Doctor, Perry, Leela, and Joe. Uh, companions that have forgotten the Doctor include Jamie, Zoe, and Donna, although Jamie and Zoe only lost their memory of their time traveling with the Doctor and not of their first adventures with him. Uh, and uh, the two doctors implies Jamie might have regained his memories later in life and rejoined the doctor. 
So yeah, uh, which uh, yeah. he also doesn't mention the fourth category of companions who died, like right. Katrina and uh, Chameleon and um, Jean Marsh's character in the Daleks' master plan. I'm mm. blanking on her name. Did Adric die too? Uh, you know, everyone dies at some point. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just, I, I, don't, I, I don't know yet how Adric leaves the show, but I thought it, when mm-hmm. you guys mentioned that Adric died. But anyway, he says, uh, the companions leave, they break his heart, and so Jackson insists the Doctor join them for Christmas dinner at this point, and the Doctor notes how this, very rarely does he ever, someone ever change his mind, and this is one of those instances, and off they go. Merry Christmas. Yeah. So, um... So, like, like you said, uh, I mean, uh, my my thought on it is, is like, like you said, Jimmy, that it's a, a great concept, a very interesting first half. Second half kind of a little bit goes a little bit mm-hmm. wild and off the rails a bit, and kind of loses me on some of the big plot holes. But, but what what do you what do you guys think? If you have any other notes on this episode, no, Father nothing Corey, here. Nothing, nothing here. Okay. So, all right. So, uh, you know, we we. Everybody has different feelings about it, but uh, it's this is one of those. I think for me, it's fifty fifty. It's it's yeah, about. I a think mid- it's middle entertaining, list. but that's yeah. It's it yeah. It's it, I think it's it's partly iron and partly clay. <laughs> there you go. The the, the Cyber <laughs> King's uh, ankles were made of clay. Yeah. <laughs> so before we finish up here, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Doctor Who, including. Uh, Father Eric, Kathy L, Linda N, Janet M, and Sam E. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Uh, We'd like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. Uh, So that's it from us. Let us know what you thought of the next Doctor by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or via email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing that aforementioned The Two Doctors. Uh, until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Well, thank you, Don. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and ooh, if we're doing The Two Doctors next, that makes me hungry. spoilers and once again I'm Dom Bettinelli thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest and remember I'm the Doctor simply the Doctor the one the only and the best right this is gonna be fun